Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Ashu Vermani, Executive Vice President at Fuzzy Logics and Fast Index. Fuzzy Logics is a big data management platform that applies artificial intelligence to extremely large sets of data in a very fast and efficient way that helps businesses do any number of things, including through their other product of Fast Index, compose custom indexes that can be screened on countless different parameters and design and manage portfolios that match the client's own unique value proposition and beliefs. And with that, here's my interview with Ashu. Well, sure. Good morning and pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I uh, managed to find you in a booth at the CIFPS conference and I was uh, quite intrigued by you guys. So tell us about Fuzzy Logic and I, and sorry, Indry Bell? And Fast Index. Fast yes. Index, sorry. You, yeah. have a, you have a lot of acronyms under your website. I wasn't yes. sure to go. Fast <laughs> Index and uh, Fuzzy Logic. Yeah. So Fuzzy Logic is a 10 plus year old company. Yes. Uh, headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, and an office in Hong Kong and an office in Bangalore. And we That's were, a quite the interesting yeah, assortment it's, it's, place. Pretty, yeah, yeah. Uh, India, Hong Kong, in, yeah, India, yeah. China, and and uh, and U.S. Well, you're not going after uh, small markets, are you? Yeah. <laughs> so, and we were born essentially. We found an unmet need in the problem, unmet problem uh, that wasn't solved in the market, and that was ultra high performance analytics or machine learning when the data sets become really large. So I'm not talking millions of rows, I'm talking Mm. billions of rows of data. And uh, traditionally analytics was done in a sort of three-tier architecture. People would take the data out of the data warehouse and use tools like SaaS to analyze it. And then there will be a click tableau type of BI tool that will visualize. Yeah, visualization tool. So it was a three-tier architecture. That was a big growth business for a little while. Yeah, Yeah. and and, and it it still is. Unfortunately, analytics by nature is, uh, and this was the subject of my doctoral thesis as well, analytics is iterative. You never quite get the answer in the first iteration, right? So you will you will take a sample of data, you'll say, oh, I'm missing this column, let me redo this with, with another column. Yeah. As data sets started to go from hundreds of gigs to terabytes, people realized that the movement of data is costing them four to five hours each iteration. And once they're doing 10, 20, 30 iterations, I mean, problem solving takes days, days of compute time. So we essentially flipped the approach. We said, hey, instead of moving all this data, why don't we just move some code to the data? And we actually embedded our code inside. You brought the mound of Muhammad. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And and we we basically embedded our code into you know nine different data platforms, starting from you know back then SQL Server to you know now enterprise data warehouses like Teradata, Oracle, IBM, uh, IIS. So a lot DB2. of the old legacy systems that you that people had, you exactly. basically we are embedding yourself. our code in yeah. there. And the result was that analytics became 10 to 100 times faster. And then we innovated further and we applied some GPU technology and we took the analytics oh, so now 500, going, yeah. to 500 to 1,000 times faster. Yeah, for, for listeners unfamiliar, GPUs tend to be able to handle very different types of loads simultaneously. And that's why they are the tool of preference in the artificial intelligence world. Exactly. So you're and, talking not 16 cores yeah. on a chip, you're talking 2,000 cores and, on a chip. Yeah, and, and the Bitcoin world also, but we can talk about that. Yeah, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's a separate topic, topic altogether. Yeah. So that was really fuzzy logic, and that still is fuzzy. Logics. Yeah, I love your name, by the way, because I still, for the one computer science course I took, I understand what fuzzy logic is, but continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is an X, not a C at the end, but yes, yeah, well, it's, a, it's a play yeah. on the word fuzzy logic. Yes. And then we realized that most of our customers, and this was not by choice, this was serendipity, our customers ended up being either in healthcare or in finance, so the fintech world. Mm. And the reason for that was that if you go back seven, eight, ten years, these are the customers that had massive quantities of data. I was going to say the largest data sets. Largest data sets. And these are the guys who had a problem that needed to be solved in somewhat real time. 
So near yeah. real time or real time. So I'll give you an example. This is completely, so, so Raymond James is an example. Raymond yes. James Financial. They currently use our tool to do uh, portfolio valuation every day for more than 100 million portfolios. And, and their existing processes, legacy processes before Fuzzy, were, were taking them beyond the market close into in, well into the next day. So, so this is a problem they wanted to solve by close of business. So let's talk about what the specific analytic is. Like what, what, were this, what was specifically being done that you have now accelerated? So this is simple things like time-weighted returns, volume-weighted returns, or, uh, you know, if you wanted to do, let's say, Black-Scholes, uh, you, you know, binomial oh, options tree. pricing. So, That's you know, options pricing. So, two things Fuzzy brought in as innovation. One was we did an analytics closer to the data, right? Mm -hmm. So, we did not move the data. Yeah. And the second thing was that we assumed a shared nothing architecture, which means that if you have 100 million rows, we assume that there could be 100 nodes, each carrying a million rows. And how do I compute as efficiently as possible on each of the 100 nodes and do very little to combine, right? So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you a very trivial example and hopefully this will resonate with people. You have 100 million patients in, in a database and I want you to tell me the minimum age of patient, for yeah. example, for a certain disease type. It's very easy because you can distribute the problem very naturally. Humans think that way, right? I will ask each of my 100 nodes to give me the min age. I will get 100 values back and in a millisecond I can, or a microsecond, I can yeah. tell you the min of 100 numbers. Well, now I ask you the same question, but I say give me the median age of the patient. Yeah. Now you well, rank the problem them. doesn't distribute that easily. Yeah, no. Or you can't even just rank it. I mean, you could have large values on one node and, and small values Absolutely. on another node. You can't do median or medians, and it's not an arithmetic. Yeah, medians, no, you can't. So, no. so, so, you so now, 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 let's make the problem set more complex. Now I ask you to do a neural net, or I ask you to do a decision tree, or a random forest, mm -hmm. or, or logistic regression. Things that are inherently taught in classrooms as serial math which make the simple assumption or simplifying assumption that you can have access to all data. You can have what access to all the data, but you're testing one data point at a time. And when you start rolling that out across the volumes we're talking about, that's yeah, just... So the innovation was not just that we did not move the data, but we wrote the code. We rewrote the code for some of these things, which people assume is a serial sort of code. We, we paralyzed it. We assumed a shared nothing architecture. So that's why we got the 10 to 100 times improvement. Fast forward five, six, seven years, and we, we realized that we are solving the same problems over and over again. So what we did was rather than do bespoke analytics for large companies, I mean, our company's roster was Fortune 100s, Fortune yeah. 500s. And then we said, okay, let's take some use cases that we have solved repeatedly, and can we add the data, the machine learning algorithms from Fuzzy Logics, and put a UI on top. So very simple web-based UI. So people have ease of access to it. Mm -hmm. And can we vertically integrate the sandwich and offer that as a solution? So in the last three years, we have taken two such problems and we have brought them to market as their own brands. And one of those those things is Fast Index. And so, so that's sort of a segue into the, the indexing world. That's how I first came uh, across you guys. And when I went to the website, I was like, you guys do a lot more than just that. So let's talk about Fast Index. Mm -hmm. What does that product do? So Fast Index does three things very well. I'll talk about the, the sandwich that we're talking about, the three-layer yep. sandwich. The underlying data, so we found that this was really, really hard for smaller companies to do, companies below, let's say, asset values $100 million or so. For them to do a problem where they're trying to do a smart design of a portfolio, they obviously need to have data. This data comes from three, four big vendors like, you know, Thomson Reuters, now Refinitiv, or yeah. Factset, or Bloomberg. Bloomberg this yeah. is very expensive data. Most of the Highly smaller siloed. firms do not have, you know, license to do this kind of data. Second, you need, you need to accurately record the history you need corporate actions that happen to every company. You need mm -hmm. ownership data, which company owns which companies. American Airlines was AMR some time back, and, and yes. some other airline or AT&T actually split and then became AT&T. AT so, yeah. so, they're re-amalgamated Exactly. Time, so yeah. Yahoo's you know, now part of, I mean, the AOL's now part of uh, yeah. Horizon. So those kinds of things. So we have history going back to 1984 for all equities, any equity that traded at any point 
at any exchange in the world. So that's a lot of data. So we have this data. How much data is that? I'm just, I'm really curious. So it's point. not in this megabytes or, or it's a few terabytes. So it's just actually not that large so not given even, that we have yeah. solved other problems. But what makes it difficult is that this data is not clean. So we have to take more than one source. The number one problem that I keep on dealing with every company I talk about is the cleanliness of their data. And it's like, did no one care about this for like 40 years or something? Because it seems like everybody's dealing with, with not with, with problems with this area. Yeah, in fact, if you go to emerging markets, uh, you, you, oh, know, you start worse. to get clean data really only from 91 onward. Really? But, but when you're talking about the big companies like the S&P 500, yeah. et cetera, you can, you can easily go back to the inception and you'll have some you know, good enough. clean data. So the first problem we solved was we, we are real database people. So the first thing we did was we created a giant capital markets data model, which essentially is a, for people in the database world, they know ER diagrams, right? Mm -hmm. so, so this is an entity relationship, primary key, foreign key. We basically converted this entire data set into something that is queryable very easily, something that will perform fast. So the underlying structures of the data actually dictate how fast your algorithms will run. The next thing we did was we basically took the common tasks that any, let's say, ETF manufacturer, any indexer, any um, RIA, any asset manager will, will like to do to think about an interesting idea. So the three things, as I said, the tool does well is one is the creation ideation. So using a set of WYSIWYG dropdown, you don't need a client on your, on your desktop or laptop. All you need is to go to a browser and have an account on fastindex.com. So you can then select from a variety of preloaded conditions and create an intelligent portfolio. You can say, I want to take S&P 500, I want to weed out companies that don't pay dividends. And for the dividend paying companies, I want to also select the companies that have positive free cash flow, for example. Or I want, I want to pick companies that have not only paid dividend this year, but in the past two years as well. And the dividend has been monotonically increasing. So now you're adding, you know, really, really stringent criteria. So you're doing a bunch of screenings and then you can rank them. And then you want the tool to say, well, okay, now whatever my set is, go back in time and annually reconstitute this and quarterly rebalance this. So now I have 10 reconstitutions, which means let's say on January 1st of every year, I'm going to reapply this algorithm and figure out what is the set that I yeah. get, right? So I'm reconstituting the portfolio. Based on the data that happened based in on, the previous 12 based months. Based on the point in time universes. Yeah, yeah based yes. on the 12 months, you were reconstituting basically, you know, if I'm ranking them based on previous year's dividend growth and total dividend yield, by Jan 1 of the next year, it's completely new. I've got to redo the entire Companies model. may leave the group, Companies, new companies yeah. may come into Merges the group. Merges acquisitions, so that, yeah. that's Exactly, so that, that'll happen. Or companies will disqualify in the, in yeah. the following year and then new companies will emerge exactly. as, as winners. And then quarterly rebalancing. So I'm doing 40 times rebalancing just to make sure that I don't get over-invested in one category. I sprinkle the wealth equally or, or whatever, can, whatever my weighting criteria yeah, and is. You, so you know, you're using calendar-based there, but I take it you can do weightings if anyone exceeds a certain threshold at a exactly. certain point in time. In which case, I mean, in volatile markets, if you're doing that, you could be rebalancing any number of times throughout the course the of the year. The tool allows you to do rebalancing yeah. every day if you wanted to. So, so you could theoretically... <laughs> That's even, a lot it's of a, it's a different, it's a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The point is it, this capability exists, right? So the creation ideation of portfolio and then rapidly testing. So this process today, if you have to, let's say if an ETF manufacturer wants to launch a new fund, the idea begins with testing out a theory, which essentially is in the form of an index. So they will go to a company like you know, MSCI or, or Wilshire or S&P or FTSE Russell to co-design or custom design an index for them. Yeah, that yeah. process 
Today, it takes about eight weeks. And depending on the complexity of idea, it may take longer, it may take a little bit shorter, but this is because people are still using Excel spreadsheets to do that sort of going back point in time. It's a, it's a very laborious process, it's prone that, to errors. And I have known, I've known institutions that literally go to MSCI and say, hey, we want an index customized based on, on whatever criteria. I mean, when um, previous guest of the, of the podcast, they came out with Canada's first halal-based portfolio, which was you had to yep. take into consideration Islamic faith and belief, yep. and that discounts financial institutions, right? Because lending and usury lending is, yeah. is a big issue, yeah. right? So in any number of companies where you wouldn't think offhand that maybe they're involved in some sort of sub-lending business that just get filtered, right? And you know, I sat back and thought to myself, when they, when they told me that they went to MSCI for that, I thought, Something seems wrong. I know that this is not the easiest thing to do because of the data sets involved, but shouldn't it be easier than having to go to a large institution to basically, who are like, it seems like gatekeepers of, of knowledge is what it seems like to me, right? Yeah. And that's that's where I find it a bit of an antiquated approach. But And this is an innovative company. So so in that case, so with your product, for, for example, an asset manager, as long as they have access to the right data, to, data sets, could in-house that project. They could in-house it. They could ask us to help design the project for them. Mm-hmm. We, our claim to fame is that we can shrink that eight-week cycle into under a week. So the other thing that happens is that those companies will probably do three, four, five iterations to find out the optimal. So, and that's what I want to get to. So when you're talking about that shrinking, are we talking about, we're talking about two things. A, the, every time you're adding a data set, like we said, you, sometimes it's taking you hours to get those data sets populated. So that is being eliminated. Mm-hmm. So the time to iteration is being shrunk dramatically. Is that basically yeah, so the key? Yeah, so that time, the single back test in our platform is about 10 minutes. A 10-year back test roughly takes about 10 minutes. On up to how many, like roughly how many securities are we talking about here? You can go up to 10, 11,000 securities in that. In <laughs> 10 that, minutes. Oh, okay, so let's just. 10 uh, minutes for a 10-year back 10 test. 10 minutes, your 10-year back test. 10,000 securities. 10,000 securities. I mean, I'm just trying to do the math in my head times like how many trading days in the year over like, like 250? 252, 252, yeah, yeah, something like that. So, yeah. yeah, so basically we're already talking 2,000. 500 times 10,000, and you're talking, oh, Jesus, we're talking, yeah, we're, we're yeah. talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions it's of calculations. It's a lot of computes, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of computes. That would make the, our processor run hot. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is that it's not that you have to do the process only once, right? Yeah, the, exactly. the point is, you, you start with an idea, you say, well, this is an equally weighted portfolio of yeah. 100 companies that you want to eventually select. Well, yeah. you realize, well, equally weighted isn't giving you the return, so you want to do market cap weighted. Yeah. Or maybe you want to do free float market cap weighted, you're, or you're you have some those... esoteric. The yeah. point is, to get to something optimal, a human has to be in the loop and you have to yeah. design and redesign and redesign. We sometimes do 40 iterations in about three days. Yeah, it makes sense. Like you got to test these theses, right? Like this exactly. is what it says. This is a, this is a null hypothesis test. Like I think that this is going to work, but wait a second. I can't, let me test that. Like you said, equally weighted versus market cap weighted yeah. versus tilting for different factors. It's going to have a massive impact. And I'm still mind boggled by the number of calculations because I think anyone who's ever gotten to a sophisticated enough level of class involved modeling where you're building on Excel, you have to turn off auto update because like it takes too long to get through stuff. And I've literally I had- the Excel starts to crash after you know a few oh, tens of thousands of rows. And I, I broke it once. Uh. Yeah. And imagine but, doing this stuff manually in Excel worksheets, and and you try to cut and paste one worksheet into the other, and you're off by a row. The propensity for error is just the, insane. You know, it's all numbers, right? So so you're off by one row. Now suddenly everything is broken, and yeah. you realize the the mistake way down when you see the returns. You say, well, something's going wrong. Yes, yeah, so in my data. Like, why why is this? Uh, and then you have a crisis in 2008. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, we typically do uh, you know at the very minimum, we'll do, like for the reason, we do 11-year backtests, so we want to get two downturns for yeah. designing. For, for longer thematic indexes or portfolios, 
we will probably go back 20 years, 30 years, because it's a big seasonal thematic thing, like like a Fed policy. So you have to really yeah. go through those kinds of designs that rates others like fail to yeah. do, but we can go much farther back. So, so, so we're testing, we're testing the securities, right? Yeah. And we've talked about other factors like mergers and acquisitions. Are there other data sets you can overlay that, like with this and, and try to find correlations, for example? Like, are you taking stuff in from, say, public reported databases or... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so. Uh, very, very good point. Yeah. Very good point. So, so the... Financial data has a bunch of fundamental factors, right? And yeah. the you know, investability screens, free cash flow, dividend yield, you know, yeah. price returns, et cetera. There's about 130 of them that we extract from the data that we get from providers. Boy, factory, the, factory guys must love you. Exactly. So, so, <laughs> so, but what you're talking about is, is, is I think, where, where the trend is now, right? People are saying, well, I don't just care about companies. I want, I want companies with conscience. So the generation that, after yeah. us yeah. actually votes with their pocketbooks. So yeah. I'll give you a couple of examples, right? I mean, my own children, for example, they'll say, well, I don't want stocks that have to do with guns, for example. And now, this is, again, a very polarizing view, but, but it's their you know, view and they're but entitled it's their to invest and, and in if, the way that they that's choose. Exactly Exactly. Or, or they don't want companies that don't treat gender that are not LGBTQ friendly. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because we talked about that on the way up here. You are, you've actually cracked that solution and you're, you've come up with an LGBTQ, whatever LGBTQ. the there is, basically friendly Index. Index. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk to so me the, about that process. Yeah, so in general, that whole subset of indexes or portfolios are called ESG friendly, right? Yes. So, so they're environmental, they're social, they're, they're green, yeah. right? So you could have women on the board, for yeah. example, how well are they treating women? How well are they treating the, the LGBTQ community? So yeah. what the tool allows you to do, so I'll give you the general answer first, and I'll give you the specifics on how we went about doing this, this project. So the general answer is that the tool allows you to upload or augment the data set that already exists. So the fundamental factors I talked about, you know, 120, 100 and 30 of them that we extract from, from the data. But then we also import, for example, a green rating or a sustainability rating or mm -hmm. you know the, the waste produced by a company or the kind of industry it's dealing yep. with. So that can be augmented. You basically upload the RIC you know, or, or some CDOL or some identifier for Just a analytics, stock. Just scores, whatever and, and, then, yeah. and then a score that could have been computed offline. And many of our customers do that actually. So the robotics index or the battery index or whatever, they are finding other ways and means of importing or, or creating their own proprietary rating that they may not want to reveal to the world. But then they can still import that into our tool and marry it with all the other fundamental data to actually then run the back test. So, so now coming back to the specific, this LGBTQ friendly, for example, the human rights campaign, the HRC, for the last 18, 19 years has been publishing what is called a CEI, a corporate equality index. And part of their index criteria is how is the treatment of LGBTQ community in the corporate workplace, you know, from their customer outreach efforts, from their treatment of employees, et cetera. So in that particular case, we source that data as well. So last year's list had somewhere around 570 names. Um, these are large and small companies. So to design an index like this, and again, the methodology is, is something, you know, the customer we're designing for, you know, is proprietary to them. But in general, you intersect that set with the S&P 500. That gives you a subset of companies that becomes your starting universe. So these are companies that are large cap, they have sufficient liquidity, and they're LGBTQ friendly. And then there is a variety of other criteria that are applied to make that set perform. So mm -hmm. you, you need to find out, uh, see, the main thing in an index is it's objective. You can't have a subjective criteria that says, I'm going to keep Walmart in or I'm going to leave Walmart out. It has to be rules-based because yeah, so. you want to go back historically and apply the same rules consistently I mean, to see theory, the yeah, theory In works. theory, you can be like percentage of people earning above minimum wage or something like that. Exactly. Like, so can... there could be any such set of criteria, but they have to be objective. And that is how we're taking, similarly, you know, there is there is another company for which, uh, you know, we're, we're designing or we did do a backtest of Fed policy-based index. So mm -hmm. these were long, long term trends where we augmented the data based on 
how the interest rate regime and the Fed behavior was and who was the ruling governor of the Fed. So it's very interesting that the tool is extensible. And that is the part one of what the tool does best, okay. which is, so which that, is, which is the one. design, the ideation yeah. and creation. Yes. We are basically democratizing, that, yeah. we are democratizing the art. This was the, I would say, as you pointed out, right, this was under the dominion of three, four, five very large players in the world. And then we are disrupting that market. Or, or, We're or making large it available. hedge funds. I mean, like just, you know, you read. You read or, or exactly, very yeah, large Dahlia funds that had yeah. the bandwidth to hire 10 PhDs and have their own internal staff. I mean, everything this kind of you're work. talking about is stuff I've heard Ritalio talk about, like mm -hmm. what they used to do and whatever. And you're basically offering this out to down to the advisor level, which I'm compelled yes. by. And I mean, and this is, we do a fair amount of VSG-based investing in my in my business. And it all just comes down to one question is, does it matter to you that your investments are aligned with your social principles, behavioral principles whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And for some people, they could care less. And that's fine. It's their preference. For some people, it's of paramount importance, right? And the data thus far, and none, this is people can argue with me all they want, data thus far does not show a performance lag whatsoever. And these all, a lot of these things represent off-balance sheet risk. And the number of clients we've won because we actually said, yes, we, we will listen to what you care about in terms of mm -hmm. how we invest. Whereas most of, more often than not, they're being told to ignore that or no, it's not relevant. You're going to suffer. It's silly. This is part of a trend, I believe, which is going to be towards gearing portfolios more towards the actual end consumer's expectation of what they want to do with their money. Exactly. So my children's generation, they will vote with their pocketbooks. There's already, for example, the LGBTQ community, to give an example, there's 11 and a half million consumers just in the US. And, and that's care, a lot of they, buying power. That's a, that's lot, a lot of buying, of buying yeah. power. But I mean, like, it's, it's one of these things we just have. And the thing is, is what I find challenging. What I find challenging is that the definition of the retail market of what is ESG does not match what people have in their minds in most cases, right? So for example, in Canada, famously, there will be ESG funds that hold oil sands funds. Now, for those mm. people not familiar with that, that is a very, very touchy subject where we have a lot of oil. Unfortunately, it requires a lot of pollution mm -hmm. in order to get that uh, get that out. And people look at it and say, why is, this, why is this on the list? Well, it's because it's an ESG screen and they test really good on governance. So let's talk about the second piece before we go any further. So uh, again, first of all, fantastic. I'm glad to see the kind of democratization of, of people's personal beliefs being applied to investing. So thank yeah. you for that. The second piece. So, so the second piece is uh, is the operations and day-to-day -day maintenance. So we have talked to asset managers that have billions of dollars in portfolios and they are or indexers that are running 400 indexes at, at a given time. And the same problem, the manual effort required to collect the data every day, apply the corporate actions. So companies are issuing rights, dividends. Mm -hmm. Those those actions are happening every day that have to be applied and, and the index recalculated the next day. So those are daily tasks. There are obviously um, weekly and quarterly tasks like rebalancing portfolios. There are uh, you know reconstitution tasks, which could be half yearly, yearly. So there is a lot of work, manual work required in operating a set of portfolios, whether it's 10 or 1,000. What our tool can do very effectively is to actually import even legacy portfolios or legacy indexes into the tool and allow people to just do operations. Obviously, for the things that were created in the tool, that's a natural next step. They automatically move into the production mode where you're now running daily daily cycles. Every night, our tool is gathering data from the market for all exchanges around the world. And we are referencing two sources against each other to make sure we are not missing a corporate action that one reported and the other did not, or if two people reported a piece of data that they're identical. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that tallying between facts that and Thompson Reuters, for mm -hmm. example. So and you're then even, even are, validating data so from we're multiple, validating data. multiple so, sources. So good, clean data is, is the is base small. value the tool provides. Yeah, and, and then the yeah. application is, is on top. So then operating this portfolio. So good case in point is, is the Hang Seng indexes. So they have um, about 
400 indexes, 200 of them are public, the others are for you know their private clients, and uh, there is about a trillion dollars more or more of assets linked to those indexes. And uh, they needed to scale their size. They were covering, I think, about 1,800 equities in the Hong Kong and Shenzhen exchanges, and they wanted to expand that to about 5,500 equities, and, and then even more. That included the Taiwan, the uh, Singapore, the Japanese exchanges, et cetera. So they wanted to expand their set and the universe of uh, indexes they were creating. And the only way they would scale is that if they could triple the number of the employees they had, because a set of employees can only do so much. So what this allowed them to do was, you know, now they have migrated their entire operations to this platform. So they're not only ideating with this platform, they have turned over their entire operations. So think of this as a salesforce.com for- for, for familiar with Salesforce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So if you're familiar with Pipedriver, salesforce.com yep. that manage the CRM process, yes. this is essentially your portfolio management tool. So other than being the custodial services, which we don't do, which yes. we would partner with, or the trading platform, which like an E-Trade or a Meritrade or, yeah. or some- they were, Why reinvent that? You can just tie into Exactly. It so we can tie that. into tools like that, yeah. but we do the rest of it. So we'll basically produce new sets of weights, equities and weights, and to the delta, and we'll basically publish a list of what needs to be traded. Yeah, and that can be sucked up by their systems. That can be systems picked and, up by somebody yeah. else. Fantastic. Uh, so, so that's the, the other thing we do. Um, so and you, again, price returns, we were talking earlier about computing, you know, taxations. Uh, so yeah, so. I wanted to touch upon that. So let's talk about the how you're able to overlay tax policy onto what you're doing. Yeah, so, so there are two things we do, um, foreign exchange rates and tax rates. So we have mm. FX rates, for example, going back in history on a daily basis. So we can compute, you could basically have a cross-market index, but you could say it's, it's dominated in the US dollar or the Canadian yeah. Dollar. So which means that every day back in time, we have to take the prices of equities, let's say traded in, in Germany or traded in, yep. in India, and, and we have to convert it back conversion. off that day's exchange rate. So we use the 4 p.m. GMT yeah. time uh, exchange uh, exchange rate at that time on a daily basis. So we convert it back to the denominated currency. And then, of course, whenever there are dividends issued, they have to be converted based on that day as exactly well. Exactly, that day. So we apply the dividends, that gets a total returns. And then we have the country of domicile. We have the entire data set of where this country is domiciled. And if they have an exception to the rule where the tax treatment can be more favorable than the country of domicile. So wait a sec, so, so you're actually incorporating the, the cross-border tax treaties into your models? Into the models, yeah. So, so the, the tool has this data already oh, inside it. it. So we will then compute the net TRI, so the net total returns. And we can do this every time the index is rebalanced or we can compute this every time the index yeah. is reconstituted. Yeah. So we are producing essentially the price index, the total returns index and the net total return that index is... by applying each country's specific tax treatment. Wow. And that's actually quite a significant amount of work. So the ideation creation was number one, the operations and management yep. of the portfolios were the other. And the third is producing reports and fact sheets. Okay. So a common problem for a lot of companies is that you know they have to produce these tear sheets or, or one pager front and back yeah. for advertising because they have to go raise money for their portfolios. Yeah, that they and designed. you're not going to give them the entire back history. Yes, exactly. here's so, a summary. So what we also did while we, since we were on the subject of optimizing and then leveraging automation. We allow people to create a template. Again, it's a drag and drop template of about 30 constituents so that you can drag So you created a interface for it's that. A, yeah, yeah, so you create a two-pager or four-pager template and you drag and drop these widgets on, onto the template. And then if you are running, let's say, a thousand portfolios, you don't necessarily have to create a thousand templates. You can say all my utilities uh, indexes or portfolios will follow a certain design pattern. All my uh, passive portfolios will follow a certain pattern. All my tech portfolios will follow a certain design. Mm -hmm. So you may only create 10 templates. And then what you do is you use your mouse to basically bind a bunch of live portfolios mm -hmm. with the template. Then you basically say on the first of every month, regenerate the tear sheets. So now your salespeople don't have to either use stale stuff, 
So this whole process has become automated or simplified. And, well, I and, often and, find and it ridiculous. Two, yeah. Right now we have two customers that are only using the tool for just that work because that work is just a, yeah. is a massive time sink for them. I often find it ridiculous that like the, especially in Canada, we have these things called fun fact sheets. You got to hand out with mm -hmm. every sale and they're done once a year, yeah. right? Like I'm so, literally, and when I say once a year, it's like everything as of like say June, June 30th, right? And then you'll be in the middle of July before they even publish the next one, right? And this I'm is like still so getting, stale. Uh, you know, prospectuses and fun sheets for October of 2018 because that's the last time the companies had produce them and, yeah. and it'll maybe a three month or a six month cycle. Yeah, before they produce the next one, right? It's always yeah, based yeah. by the time it comes out, it's three months old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, no. so this allows them to, at least they could do it daily if they want, but typically it's on a month boundary or a quarter boundary that Amazing. they do it. So that's an, in a nutshell what Fast Index is. And That is, uh, I'm thoroughly impressed and we're definitely gonna be talking about more so stuff. So we, we do wanna be the salesforce.com for any asset manager or ETF issuer. Or well, I'm very curious to see how your tools get pushed down. I think of all the, the ability to push that down, like you said, democratize it, literally down to the client level, right? Mm -hmm. Even to the do-it-yourself client level, where like there's different platforms out there that permit for fractional holding of shares, right? Mm -hmm. So literally you can, you know, to with certain limits, realistically own 500 securities within a $10,000 portfolio. Some of them might not like that. And then also the lower cost of trading that's coming down and some of these, some of these companies incorporating that into the actual flat fee per year, right? Mm -hmm. I think about the trend, I think some of the, the opportunities that exist for tax loss harvesting within direct indexing portfolios, right? I think about all that stuff and how you can enable that. And I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, at this point, we're, we're searching for other ecosystem partners that actually yep. help us round out this portfolio. But by itself, the tool's pretty powerful. So, and, and we are very happy with the traction it has had. We really launched it at the Inside ETFs in Florida this yep. year. So, that was, I think, a February conference. Huh. So that's one of the largest conferences um, in that space. Uh, in yeah. that space. So, between February and now, we have had very solid number of leads and, and a lot of traction. So I am we're, not we're, surprised we're in the least. Working weekends now. Yep. So, uh, so, three questions before we wrap up. I ask mm -hmm. them to everybody. If you had one wish or something could change in your company, the industry as a whole, whatever it might be, what would it be? Within the company? The company or the industry? Oh, or the industry? Or I would say education. I think if, if we could educate asset managers a little bit more, if we could make them a little more technology savvy or give them access to tools. Right now, I have, I mean, I've spoken to tons of asset managers and what they do is they basically say, hey, my company mandates that I only use these four tools or these five tools. So I can only do portfolio construction using that tool. If we allow them to be a little more flexible, I think they can service their clients better. It's a so, classic so. enterprise problem, right? Like the end users find something better, but it hasn't gone through, you know, so there's enough it grassroots demand, it's gotta go up. Yeah, it's, either, yeah. it's either pushed on from above or pushed from below, but you need a lot of mass volume from below. And often the question is, well, why is why do we need this? You, you're good enough, that you're box exactly. is checked. So the IT teams inside those larger firms basically are- Don't like change. Don't like change. <laughs> and I think uh, there is a lot of innovation happening in the market. I'm just hoping that if that gets picked up- Well, sooner, the honest truth is that that's not an option anymore to sit back and say, well, we have the stack, it's good enough. Because as you said, like, you know, yeah. If your competitors are going to provide differentiated returns, yeah. or as you said, you know, yeah. value-based investing, principles-based yeah. investing, other people will have. But we're to in follow. a modular world now when it comes yeah. to this stuff. Like the, the days of owning the entire stack yourself are just not an option yeah. anymore because too many upstarts like yourself come along, come up with a much better widget very quickly, and you need to start thinking about how can I move from current to the next thing, whatever that might be, as fast as possible without as little disruption to the business as possible. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest challenge in getting to the company to where it is today? One of the biggest challenges was really convincing the data providers that what we are doing is a good thing for them because the first time we it creates a market for their data. Exactly. But see, the fear that most of them have is that if I give you the data and you can really recreate and basically disrupt 
my business? And and the answer was no, that's not what we are. We are basically enabling your data, it's a royalty-based model, right? So every time yeah. we, when we succeed, they succeed as well. So yeah. we pay them more money based on the number of seats that we have on the license. Absolutely. So without us, they would only be approaching the market that can pay them, you know, $150,000 a year or, or tens of thousands of dollars a year in, in subscription fee, but yeah. it's a narrow set of companies that can do that. Absolutely. Now that we have democratizing the tool and we are making the tool available for, let's say, less than a grand a month, which includes all this data, we are exposing for them a new segment of the market that they otherwise would not have been yeah. able to tap. So so I think getting them past over the, the hump, getting thinking. past that and yeah, thinking that, yeah. you know, hey, this is actually a good thing. But now we have a fantastic partnership with these guys and, mm -hmm. and they see it as a symbiotic relationship where we're not only, we're basically helping. Yeah, I think it depends uh, on how you define your existence, right? I mean, like they, so often people get augmented and like, I'm paid for doing the thing I'm doing not for doing something else. And the something else, they need to stop and say, well, look how much better this could be. And how, how markets, like you said, $1,000 a month, right? 12 grand a year for everything you just said. And, and basically, like I think about the number, better outcomes, more customized outcomes, and the amount of just the productivity savings alone to do oh, the yeah. job properly is, is yeah. you're, you're worth 10 that's, times that's, that. That's, you know, one person's salary for like a month or two. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. like, you know, meanwhile, how many teams were employed doing what you're talking about exactly. now? And how much, pro, how much propensity was there for errors because of the way things were structured. So the last question I have for you before we wrap up is what excites you the most about what you're working on or what you're doing? Just what gets you up in the morning and keeps you going? I think that, you know, every single week, every single day, we are designing very smart portfolios for a customer. So they throw problems at us that our tool, we're an agile company, we are, you know, 50 person startup. The beautiful thing is that they are forcing us to think in a variety of ways that we hadn't thought about it, mm -hmm. right? So, so the customer that comes and says, I want a veterans friendly index, yeah. which means I only want to, huh. because that's their market. They want to find companies that are friendly to disabled and yeah. basically hit yeah. veterans of war. And that's a, that's an interesting idea. And the uh, challenge is know, always finding ways that It's a new challenge. Right. The other challenge that, that we were working on, and in fact, there is a talk later today, uh, my CEO is giving a keynote, is how do you combine the stability of the Western markets or the developed world and then get alpha by including emerging economies and which sectors of those emerging economies like India and China, mm -hmm. where you can get the dis differentiated edge. So you have stability, but you also have alpha. Yeah. So, so, so that's- But now you can test those together. And, I you, mean, can, and yeah. you can combine. So, so I think he'll be talking about a case study in designing a portfolio at 11 today, which is I think a US, Canada, India, China index. And how- There's an acronym about, I've never heard. Yeah, so, so no, normally, <laughs> exactly. So, it's exactly yeah. Uh, yeah. so the idea is, you can marry developed and developing worlds by reducing volatility yeah. and also generating differentiated returns. Those are things that yeah. we see real results and and, and uh, I think that's what keeps us up because we are always looking for newer ideas and I, testing new hypotheses. Yeah, uh, It's like a playground for us. Well, I, I gotta say, it's like, uh, I mean, once you've built this thing, like how much more can you throw at it to test it and, exactly. and, and create better outcomes? Like it's, it's uh, for guys like me, it's a very exciting prospect. So uh, clearly, and you're smiling throughout the entire thing, so clearly enjoy what you're doing. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. It was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for, yeah. Oh, great. Cheers. So I hope you enjoyed that interview, and I hope you found it as interesting as I did. Uh, <laughs> the scale of the issues they're dealing with and the interesting way that they built a platform that can help create almost bespoke experiences is quite fascinating to me. And I hope that they succeed in democratizing investing the way they hope to. And with that, as always, I'm Jason Pereira. And this is Fintech Impact. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever's you get your podcast. Till next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com.
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.